Hey there, you're listening to Hunchback Talks. In this episode, Paul Dietman is joined again by Britt Jonkman and new guest Sander von Zanten to talk about game audio, the process of creating a game soundtrack, and the future of the industry, as well as asking themselves, is there such a thing as good or bad music? Enjoy the episode. So for the people that are joining, maybe you uh, you know Sander van Zanten, who's in the middle of us here, from uh, creating the soundtrack for Deliver Us the Moon. Uh, this was uh, a four-year cycle uh, with many iterations, and uh, we're going to hear a little bit more about that from you. Straight from the gecko, how that, how that worked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and today is a special day, isn't it? Oh, definitely. It was a nice announcement. A very nice announcement. Indeed, yeah. So uh, every year... The uh, the Dutch you know music rights society Buma they uh, they have this yearly annual award show where they uh, celebrate uh, Dutch music Dutch composers and uh, well we got the very exciting news that we've been nominated for uh, for one of the awards namely f- the one for best uh, video game soundtrack so that's very exciting Damn. Um, we you know we got together to do a little video shoot photo shoot and it was just uh, very cool. Very humbling also to see. Very exciting. A very majestic uh, <laughs> a little video they shoot for uh, for all the nominations. So there are three nominations. Yeah. Uh, we, we just shared it on the on the socials. Go check out the reel. Yeah, it's very handsome. It looks so very you, nice. you see kind of the wind <laughs> blowing in your hair. Uh, <laughs> it really reminds me of that one guy, uh, the red carpet, you know, with the long, long curly hair. And he just walks up to all these famous people. And then there's this yes. huge arm that just like swooshes the glam cam glam cam <laughs> oh these okay you guys know the name of i don't course, yeah. i just recognize the guy it's it looks amazing i mean i've been watching rupaul's drag race for the past few years so <laughs> i feel completely prepared to do all the things there so when they you know when they showed the video stage there they didn't they didn't really say what they were going to do when i got there when i got the invitation to um uh to you know uh, prepare some footage for the uh for the nominees and the award show they want to record some footage, um, uh, you know, to show during the ceremony and not everything is live. I guess there's a whole show planned around it, which is too cool. Awesome. Um, but all they said to me was like, uh, okay, yeah, we're going to shoot a little video, uh, <laughs> make some photos. Uh, it's going to be fun. Uh, so when I got there, I, I'm, I'm not really sure what I expected, but it was way bigger, way much more than that. So they had this huge camera set up, which had to be, um, it was fully, you know, weighted. They, they had to put weights on the camera setup so that the, the heavy arm that was tilting and turning the camera wouldn't, uh, you know, just topple over <laughs> because of all the heavy equipment. <laughs> so that was really cool. And I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not a, the, the tallest person here. So they actually had to, uh, you know, put, put, me put on you some on boxes <laughs> in order to get the right, the right shot of me, which is, which is funny. Which is funny, but the, but the result is so cool. Nice. The, that camera is so crisp. I look very, I look very handsome. That I, you know, unexpected. You are. You are. <laughs> you are handsome. Come on. Was this? Uh, I'm. I'm very curious. Was this like the first time that you really felt like a composer, or did you have more kind of these experiences? Oh, okay. So the entire imposter syndrome thing is uh, is is an, <laughs> exactly. is is a huge topic on its own. But I don't think it's. Uh, I, I actually let me rephrase that. I think. As with many other creatives, it, it never really goes away. So we, I mean, we're we're nominated for this award. We've been nominated for other awards, and it, it always feels like because you're so in the thick of it, 
um, it, you kind of get the feeling that everybody could do this. And that's true. I think everybody could do this. There's, there's a genius in, in everybody. Uh, and as long as you, you know, commit yourself and, and do the work and get to know the, the right people, uh, the people that work, uh, you know, with you, uh, then everybody can, can be that. But that doesn't take away the feeling that you're also just like a very ordinary, normal human being. So I don't think, I don't think the, the you know, the imposter feeling ever mm -hmm. goes away. Wow. But having said that, I mean, that's just a little voice in the back of your head. Of and the, the other voice, the one that is much more, uh, you know, present uh, and the one that's in control of your life, hopefully, is the one that says, okay, do the work. And that's... And that you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So, so we have been working for quite some time now, and and I see you as a very humble human being. Um, how is it? Is it difficult for you? You're saying imposter syndrome. Not many people maybe know what exactly imposter syndrome is. Um, but how do you kind of feel satisfied when you create things and you have that feeling where you're always kind of so humble about your achievements or the stuff that you create? How do you? Uh, um, kind of feel satisfied after creating works, like for example, Deliver Us the Moon. Right. Um, so the, the most important thing I think is that the work that you create works in um, conjunction with uh, the, the environment in which you're creating it. So in, in, in my case, it was for a game, Deliver Us the Moon is a game, obviously, and it needed a soundtrack. And so the music needed to work with that, which meant there were specific uh, parameters, specific conditions that needed to be met. And um, it is a creative product, so you could uh, theoretically iterate on it infinitely because there is no like objective endpoint to what is, uh, you know, the creative perfection. So uh, could the soundtrack have been better? Sure, if we had, you know, even more time. Uh, but that's not the point, I think. The point is not to strive for perfection. It's about what is... Uh, what what works well well enough you know the, the you know what the, delivers the message yes something like yeah okay, yeah and so the the you know when people say it is it good enough that is sometimes taken as uh, oh you're only aiming for average for example I think we need to kind of reconsider that perspective because there is no like end goal in the creative endeavor there is only okay we're happy with this or we're not and there are of course you know various shades. In between that but is it good enough is for me also the point at which i go okay now it is time to shift to other priorities other things that need to be done because there is a potentially infinite amount of things that <laughs> need to be done uh in, in in the game for instance so when am i satisfied that is when i see that what i've made um works good enough in a particular scene and that's when i go okay time to move on to things that are not yet good enough and then at the end of the road Everything is good enough, which means that it, it works. <laughs> it's, not, it's not average, it works. Um, uh, and it's possible to improve it even more. And that's, that's fine. But usually this is also the point where time has run out. So you need to make sure that by the end of the project, everything is at least good enough. And with good enough, I mean great. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But because there is no you know, objective endpoint, great sort of becomes synonymous with good enough. I guess there are, there are many ways to roam, I guess. Absolutely. And it, it yeah. doesn't matter how you turn the wheel. Uh, it should be good enough. Yeah. Uh, and that eventually becomes great. So, uh, uh, when I see a lot of like starting composers looking at kind of the end result of 
this other composer, uh, they kind of idealize what's happening. Uh, and maybe this was good enough, uh, but they idealize every step it made it to the results uh, they know today, or that kind of like went into history as the product. Um, and I think what you're saying is great. Is it, it should be really good enough. You should be content with it. Yeah. And if you're not content with it, then scale it up to that certain point. Absolutely. And you know, up to a certain extent, of course, you can't uh, keep uh, you know iterating on the same thing because you're never working on when you're when you're creating music for uh, for media. You're always creating music for a specific uh, product, be it a game or a film or a documentary or a commercial. It always um, you always need to complete the entire gig, and that's yeah. rarely just one track. So you can't keep, uh, you know, hammering on this one track. It needs to be better. It, it needs, needs to be better. To, yeah, you you need to be get pulled out of that tunnel vision because otherwise, yeah. you know, perfectionists are born. <laughs> in Absolutely. That way. Yeah. You need. Uh, I mean, you 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 say this very often. You say sometimes you just gotta you know zoom out. You, you use that term a lot and I it kind of stuck with me. So whenever I feel like mm, I'm spending maybe too much time on this particular track, it's probably time to move on. I remind I remind myself, oh yeah, it's time to zoom out again. <laughs> and then we, you know, when you have this bird's eye view again, so, so then you'll see, okay, so this track is at like, I don't know, 60% good enough, so that one needs work. And then the other track is at like 90% good enough. Um, that makes it, you know, easier to prioritize and shift. Uh, to where you're needed. I've, I've kind of, how do I put this? I've let go of the sense that everything needs to be perfection. Uh, I don't think it's attainable. I think we can only do the best we can given the amount of time allotted to us uh, yeah. during a product also, cycle. Yeah, I also really doubt if there in creative matter, matters there is perfection. Right? Because yeah. uh, honestly... In creative, of course, some things are perfect. Like when you make a building, the building is perfectly aligned or something. But with creative, like with art, for instance, I never got why you have art class. I mean, no <laughs> offense to like art teachers or anything, but I got graded for something that I made, which I thought was perfect. And then they gave me like a seven and I, I was very happy with it. But what is perfection in a creative <laughs> way? To me, it was perfect. To me, it was exactly what it needed to be. It's very perceptional. Yeah. Definitely. So I think that's also, when, when you say content, it's like it needs to, for you, deliver the message of the product. But isn't that also kind of the, the misconception about that some people might consider something perfection, yeah. which is actually not per perfect to the artist that created it, but it can be perceived as perfect to another person. I mean, you, both of you, I know for sure that you came across this encounter of somebody like saying, oh, this is awesome work. Oh, you've done so great and this is perfect and this is a masterpiece and you feel like this is one of your worst works ever or you didn't even put that much uh, effort into it. I'm sure that this happened. Right, so um, uh, per perspective is a funny thing. Um, the longer you're exposed to something, be it a work of music or a work of uh, art, a painting, for example, or a story even, um, the more use you get to it, and so the less impact it tends to make on you. And as the creator, this is like the curse of the creator, you are the one that is exposed probably the most to the work because you are so involved with it. You're the, the actual creator there. And that means that... Um, 
the effect tends to wear off over time. And this is, I think this is one of the hardest things uh, as, a, as a creator. It is to try to maintain that spark, that um, how do you maintain the sensation of hearing something for the first time? It's, you, you can't do that. So you, you need to kind of fake it the best you can uh, <laughs> to put yourself in the shoes of someone who sees or hears something for the first time. Yeah. Uh, where, where do you hold on to? So it's very interesting to me. Is of course sometimes you create a piece of music, and the first time that you have created it, it feels really nice, and you're like, "Wow, I, I think it really hits the spot there." Um, but then again, when you are kind of doing all these iterations, it becomes very known to you. Yeah. So do you then kind of like remember that moment where you said like, "Hey, but at the first time I listened to this, I find it really good." Do you hold on to that? Yeah, yeah, and you need to you need to remember that you know when you're uh, <laughs> you know when you're uh, a few hours in or a few days in working on that track and you start to get completely depressed because of course it's it's trash. <laughs> it's not, but that's what you start to feel like after a while. But you need to hold on to that feeling, uh, you know, the that spark that you felt at the start and need to remain confident in your initial gut feeling there or of course you know if you if you notice mm, maybe this wasn't the right direction that you need to be able to let to let go yeah but there are some uh some handles that i like to hold on to when i'm in doubt and that's um i think one of the the strongest one there is um how, how does it work in sync with the, the the visuals of what i'm creating stuff for so whenever there's i don't know a cutscene or in terms of gameplay music there is something very specific happening in the game and the music kind of lines up with that um it's I, f I find it easier to determine the music's worth in relation to these things instead of having to take the music you know isolated mm -hmm. and trying to determine its worth there because that is like a bottomless pit which is also why i try to escape like making music for music's sake uh you know when, when we met which was i don't know six years ago or something, something like that i was just getting out of that um phase i guess you could call it there was a time where i thought oh yeah let's make music for music's sake and then over time i i realized no this is actually not what makes me personally happy because i i feel like i need something to to hold on to to let that music uh you know tell a story that's not just um conveyed through the music itself and that's that's what's so awesome about games it's where stories come together visuals uh interactivity and, and music itself audio as a whole it's uh so it's a, a little bit of the the constellation so within the kind of a subject like a game like deliver us the moon you have a subject there's a constellation in how it should sound it should portray certain feelings uh, so you can hold on to that and when you create music just to express yourself the there's no border Absolutely. You, you can create yeah. everything. You can mix up tempos. You can do very strange things with rhythms. It can even go outside of the lines of even being considered rhythmic. Absolutely. Yeah. No, you're, so uh, yeah. Is, is, that, is that something, uh, what, what you really like within games? That there is a concept kind of a, a bordered around, like it's bordered off? Yes, so uh, th this is so this is one of the cool game. That, well, one of the cool <laughs> things about games, right? It's uh, it's potentially anything you want it to be, but the further you uh, you go down the development cycle, the more defined it becomes. And so, out of this um, infinity of potential, 
it gets it, body. It, it, yeah, it, it starts to become something. And, and that comes with like its own internal uh, rule set and context. And that's what you can then uh, align the music to, so, so to speak. So do you, if you work, because that's what I'm always wondering whenever I look into your little studio and I see you all <laughs> pressing the keys like that. Do you always have your, um, like your visuals? Do you always have them on screen? Is that kind of your workflow or do you kind of move out and get away from the visuals and just focus on the music, get into it? I like, um, I'm, I'm okay. So personally, I'm not as much a visual person as I am a person, um, who uses words. I, I, it's just how I, I guess I, I, I was raised. I grew up with a lot of stories. I used to take the Lord of the Rings with me on vacation and just lock myself up in my room while oh, the rest was so outside. Nice. So, so, nice. so words for me, sometimes they convey a, a stronger image than actual, uh, than actual images, which okay. is not to say that, uh, you know, the concept artists that we work with aren't amazing because they do incredible work. Uh, but in addition to their work, I find it useful uh, before I actually start to write the music, to briefly go through and read through what the setting is, what the scene is, where are we at in the story, what words do we use here in order to uh, to tell the story that we want to tell. Um, That's very interesting. I've never heard such a thing. I, I think you are very good at, uh, so when you read the story, and we always have the story like in, in the front, so we, we make, we're creating yeah. a story like that within the games that we are making. Um, you are very good at being uh, compassionate, but compassionate in a way where you can shape shift into the person and really try to convey the feelings they have internally. Right. Yeah. I think that is why where you're saying like I like the words because you could get a better grasp in what the characters may be and what kind of situations they are, and maybe compare that to stuff that you have witnessed or experienced yourself. For sure. Yeah. It's. Uh, I mean, empathy plays a, a very big role here, and. Um, uh, sometimes it's easier to evoke, you know, a sense of empathy through words, at least for me. But also because, uh, you know, concept art, um, we create a lot of concept art uh, for the games that we make. But also a lot of that is uh, environmental concept art, which tells, uh, you know, a full story. But uh, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't give you like the tangible emotion on the face of a character. Uh, and so I tried to combine these two. So, um, so on the one hand, there's like the very evocative images that our artists make, um, which are which are fantastic on their own. Uh, and for me personally, I know that I also need to read up a little about what are the persons present in this scene actually going through that isn't maybe you know captured in image here, or at least not in their face, because that would maybe require too much you know detailed work. Which we generally don't have time for. <laughs> so you just do you write down the words, or do you have the whole written narrative next to you? Uh, you know, sometimes a bit of both. Um, uh, you know, over the years we've gotten more and more organized. So uh, one of the things that we tend to do now is um, quite you know accurately write out um, very specific episodes of you know the story we're creating. And that means that I have a very, um, a very concrete, very specific uh, set of words that I can fall back on. And you know, for for every episode, this is one of the great things about working here. Every department uh, works so well together. And you know, with, um, uh, you know, whenever we create a new beat in the story, 
we always uh, sort of get together, whether that's, I, I mean, not physically now due to the pandemic, of course, but, you know, th there's this there's this big document in which we all get together and we write down the things and we put in the images that we feel like evoke the right uh, uh, mood and emotion for a specific uh, scene or environment. And that's what always, uh, that's always what I think is essential in the music. You need mm -hmm. to convey what is happening in the scene what is happening to the people so moving about so when you have that so you have the moods you kind of have uh, you've been reading the script and stuff so how do you go from there so you are on the blank slate starting up uh, your daw uh, cubase in your case mm. how do you where does that spark how do you transform from? that moment <laughs> of like okay, i understand what feeling we're going for but how do you transform that right okay so this is uh, one of the most uh nerve-wracking <laughs> moments i guess <laughs> next to Sorry. the point where after a few hours you go like oh maybe this is uh, trash maybe i shouldn't do this <laughs> um no that's not true um uh at the start i guess um um, I have like an, a little internal checklist, I think, that I like to uh, go through. First of all, it's always like, do, do I feel or hear like an immediate spark for something? Do I know what instruments I want to use? Uh, is, is there, I mean, is there a template already? In some cases, I just have a template very specific to uh, the, the situation at hand, in which case I can just fall back on that uh, and experiment a bit with the... Um, with the instrumentation I've prepared, uh, also uh, perhaps there are already some themes and motifs established. Are those templates like genre related? Um, no. F well, for me personally, they're more like um, uh, either char character related or uh, zone specific. So there are different okay. zones in the game and uh, for one zone I may want to use a different set of instruments. Than, uh, than the other zone. So it, it depends on the zone, it depends on the characters present, and it depends on the, the kind of story when it, we want to tell at that uh, point. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I know that we have been uh, syncing up at some point. So with Deliver Us the Moon, there was this sound palette done. And then like a little further in the process, we changed the sound palette. Yes, we did. So, so that means that you have been making a lot of work and we need to throw a lot of stuff away. This was a very uh, uh, learnful experience, actually. This, uh, you know, this is at some point in your in your career, I guess you just uh, you learn how to how to let things go, right? And this was, you know, when we when we did change the palette for the Moon, that is where that became very apparent because we were suddenly throwing away I don't know how much music, uh, which was fine, and I I agree with it from a creative perspective. It, it was the right thing to do. We uh, we had. Uh, progressed. We had developed some, uh, you know, further, and it was time to also bring the music to a next level. So it, it was time. But uh, at the same time, of course, every piece of music you make is generally uh, dear to you or to me at least. Like your little baby. Kinda, yeah. But uh, after a while, you also create so many babies that <laughs> <laughs> you don't care about that one anymore. That one can leave. <laughs> that it becomes easier to let go because just like a in like an individual piece of music has less of an effect on you the longer you work on it. So too, does it become less um, crucial for you to maintain a single individual piece of music in the context of an entire soundtrack? Uh, and in the end, it's all about what works best best in in the game, in the scene, you know? So if, if the game needs a complete rework, then that's what you do, yeah. But then again, this is... Um 
you can say you throw that work away or was it actually part in coming to the result that we have today? Right, yes, that's very true. I, I like to think of it as uh, uh, scaffolding in the sense that the music that you made, it created like a little scaffold for you to step on, which allowed you to reach even higher and then create like a, a new scaffolding level. And once you climb up on there, uh, you can create yet another level. And so what that means is that, uh, you know, the first things you created aren't, uh, they're not trash, they're not wasted time. They are like the first steps on the leather or even like the 20th step or mm -hmm. the, the 30th or 300th, it doesn't matter. Everything you do, I, I, I believe, learns you or teaches you new things. Can you compare that to like sketching? For me, I, For sure. I draw, like I draw a lot. And then uh, whenever I make a sketch and uh, I feel like this is going the completely wrong way, <laughs> I have to delete it, but I still like the sketch. So Yeah, so, well, uh, I mean, just the fact that you were able to say this is not the right direction means that you have a sense of what is the right direction, which means that you have, uh, you know, honed your skill in, in sketching exactly. in this case. And, and nobody started out as like a, a genius sketch artist uh, just right out of the womb. So <laughs> everybody needs like the things that they delete. Yes. Or I mean, you don't even have to delete it. It's just, I, I, I never delete stuff anymore. I just keep it for reference maybe later. And in most cases, I never kind of look back, but internally you have sort of processes because you worked on it. Exactly, and you learned on it. And yeah. So nice. if, if we zoom out a little bit, uh, I know you haven't been like composing since you were a baby. Like you did some other stuff really? before. Really? <laughs> no, no, no. I think he went straight out of the womb. <laughs> straight up. Maybe he was thinking about it already. Um, but I know you have been doing something completely else. So, for example, your study was in a different direction. I'm just like curious, like how did you roll into uh, kind of like being passionate about music and sound design? Right. Because before you did more philosophy, you know. I did. Yeah. I uh, uh, I, I I studied philosophy. Uh, I got a degree in 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 philosophy, uh, which is great because there's a lot of philosophy work out there. Uh, there's not. But um, uh, but it, it it taught me a lot, and I was young, and I felt like I I I I wanna I wanna learn what it's like to be a, a good person. I didn't feel like I was a bad or evil person, but I felt like it's important to know um, what a, what a good life looks like and what it means to be a good person. I thought that was a very important thing to do. I I still think it is. Uh, so that taught me a lot. It did not teach me how to write music or how to be a uh, productive member of society in the sense that they taught me a very specific craft. It did teach me, however, uh, a very specific mindset that I think helps me in, uh, in whatever I do, be it, you know, game development or music composition or any other uh, endeavor, be it professional or personal or creative. So in that sense, it helped. And after that, I worked for a few years at uh, an engineering company, actually, which was also completely unrelated. Um, but it was good. I, uh, I learned a lot about, uh, construction and architecture there. I wasn't an architect. I didn't, I did like the website and marketing <laughs> material, nice. uh, but it was cool to see, uh, what was going on in there. But over time I, I noticed 
this was also a time when it, when I still wanted to be an author and write stories and get published and stuff, uh, which I, which is still like a, a sort of dream or, or something. But there's too much going on right now. <laughs> um, but that but that was the that was a fun time. But I I noticed that gradually over time, um, uh, the words that I used to hear in my mind were slowly being replaced with music. And I felt myself drifting off during meetings, during talks uh, with with colleagues, and I felt like, uh, wait, what's what's going on? Am I losing my grip? Am I losing interest in things here? And I thought, no, this is just um, a phase. This is, <laughs> it's not a phase, mom. <laughs> this is just uh, what I guess my 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 subconscious is telling me what I need to do, which is. Know, listen to what's going on inside you. I think there's there's nothing worse than not being true to yourself um, on an individual scale. Um, so I thought I should stop with words for a while and focus on music. And uh, I've been an avid gamer since I was, I don't know, uh, six or seven. Uh, I've been playing since a young age. I love it. And uh, And so I thought, okay, so why not combine the two of them? And so it started the journey that uh, ultimately led me to simply just walk into K.O. Ken's office and uh, and participate in, what was it, like an, a public alpha or beta test for a prototype you guys were working on, which was completely cool. And uh, it's, it's a long story, but one thing led to another, and, and now six years later, we are here. I'm okay. having a blast. Okay, but what I'm not hearing is... What I'm hearing actually is you are completely self-taught. Taught. Um, okay, so well, not completely. Uh, my parents—they're the best. They—they they always thought music was a very important thing. Shout out to the parents. Out. Shout out to my parents. <laughs> uh, they always thought music is a very important uh, part of, uh, uh, you know, uh, education and uh, uh, you know, growing as a person. So. Uh, so over the years, they, you know, had me taking lessons in uh, recorder, in keyboard, in guitar, all sorts of stuff, which uh, taught me a lot. And I, f I eventually stuck with guitar, acoustic and electric. And I had this amazing teacher, Avert. Uh, and Avert just taught me so much. Uh, you know, not just as a musician, but also as, as, as a, 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 a person, person so, yeah. which is weird because we just had 20 minutes a week. And, uh, you know, there's not a lot of time and you also needed to make music. But um, uh, it just taught me a lot about music and structure. Uh, we would not so much, you know, analyze composition. Uh, but every few weeks we would take another piece. This was in my progressive rock slash metal phase. Nice. So we would always take stuff like uh, Riverside or porcupine tree stuff like that uh and analyze that you know particular part because i would need to like replay it so that taught me a lot about how music was structured or at least that specific type of music which of course was completely irrelevant to game music but uh One. but you know it, it teaches you like the basic tool set uh which which comes in handy and everybody i think has a a different tool set which which makes game music so much fun there are so many different interpretations and methods to it yes. so before making uh, music for games this is very adaptive what kind of music did you create before and do you still create stuff outside of the game soundtracks oh my god so i um so i used to uh want to be a progressive rock star i uh you know i used to go to stephen wilson concerts he was the, the front man of porcupine tree 
But at some point in my, uh, sorry, in my life, my life is irrelevant to his life, in some point of his career. <laughs> Our lives, uh, <laughs> <share> lives. <laughs> at some point he thought, okay, let's just, uh, uh, he said, screw it, I'll just make my own band. Porcupine Tree was his band, I believe. Uh, but he made another band. This this man is my idol in the sense that he is so productive. He is so he is always busy with music. It's it's a very inspiring person. But uh, he created his solo act, uh, which was just you know a, it was an eponymous uh, solo act. It was just called Stephen Wilson. And um, I I always found him such an inspiring presence on the stage. And so whenever uh, whenever I went to a Stephen Wilson concert, which was like once every few months that he was in the Netherlands. Uh, I would also, I would always be like madly inspired to also do this. So I, you know, I played in a band and I, 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 I held write our compositions. And at some point, I felt like mm, maybe you know writing with a group of other musicians doesn't quite work for me. I felt like uh, it, it almost feels egotistical, but I feel like I, I need more time on my own to flesh out different things. And also, there are more things that I can play on my own. That's okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's okay to be to have the need to get your own stuff completely out of your system. Absolutely. It's not yeah. like some people will call that selfish, but it's not. It's not at all. It's uh, yeah, um, you know, uh, y you could consider it like a relationship where you give and take, but it's also very much about, you know, this is it, uh, every creative endeavor. I think needs to strive to, you know, what what is what is good enough for you, <laughs> right? So, yeah. so what is your personal perfection in there? And I felt like I couldn't attain that in the, in, you know, in the context I was in at that point. So, I started to focus more on what what can I do with you know, the, this, the tools that I have at my own disposal, at which point I started looking at sample libraries and uh, getting to know Contact and diving deeper in, uh, in Cubase. Um, a rabbit hole. Yeah. It's a very deep <laughs> rabbit hole. Be so careful. You were saying that you were inspired by him, but now you inspire others. Like, how does that feel when the tables kind of turn a little oh, bit? Oh, yes. So how the tables have turned... There, there are like many people kind of commenting on like the soundtrack. It's been praised a lot. Uh, it's been awarded also for the sound design on on the Gang Awards. Now it's the nomination for the for the Buma Awards. But how how does that how does it feel? Like you, we we get some very sweet messages about like, the that you really touch people's hearts with the music. It's um, um, well, it's it's very touching. It's very humbling, and um, and strangely enough, it doesn't change anything in the sense that uh every day you just need to get up again and do the work again uh, or risk falling behind or not getting uh, enough stuff done because it's also you know it's also a job you need to uh, remain productive um but what, what does it mean it mean but uh having said that uh i Somehow, over the years, I turned into a very like uh, sober person. What happened? <laughs> but also, it, I, it's very you uh, all, it, only sober, <laughs> <laughs> humble. But very it's also humble. very uh, how do you put it? It's very magical uh, to see that uh, the things we've made uh, reaches people and makes them feel things. That's such a special thing that I don't think enough people uh, experience. Um, you know that the work you do makes a difference in people's lives. I think that's very important. It gives purpose to the things that you do. So, um, so I'm I'm not diving into comments uh, uh, on a daily basis, but whenever I do see them, uh, they always 
kind of how do I put this? They reinforce like the the sense of self that uh, that you've developed and fostered over the years. So it's always it brings a smile to my face. Of course, it's say. inspiring. Love it, yeah. But is it something you believe? Is it something that you accept? Like, do you believe it's really true, or does it feel like somebody is just flattering you oh. with words? No, no, I don't. No, I mean, flattering people with words on the internet is such a weird thing. We only bring <laughs> each other down on there, right? Most of the time, <laughs> <Yeah>. sadly <laughs> enough. Yeah, it'd, it'd be much better if it were the other way around. Wait, would it be? I don't know. But um, let's just do that from now on. Let's do it. Everyone that's watching, listening, and us three, only positivity. Just positivity, yeah. If you have nothing Make good to say, don't say anything. Well, maybe that's it. That's it. <laughs> it just solves <laughs> every problem. Podcast, so. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. No, but I believe it. I believe it. I don't think there's nobody gains anything. I I I believe in the concept that people try to gain something with the actions that they do. It doesn't hold up for every thing that people do because there are a lot of pointless comments out there. But. Um, I don't think anyone gains anything out of lying about enjoying a particular soundtrack unless you are a very obsessed ex-boy or girlfriend or something who is trying to... <laughs> I, I'm not even sure where do I'm we going need to, uh, <laughs> Do we need to be aware of any crazy... Uh, no, no, I'm just I'm just watching uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend on uh, Netflix now. <laughs> nice, <so. laughs> yeah, I get it, I get it. Um, something else, something that I also am very curious on uh, about. Uh, this is your job. So you're an actual, whenever, you know, you, you speak to somebody new, you say like, yes, I am a professional music composer and um, every day I get up and make music and I make money with it. Um, I mean, to me, that's a dream. To me, that's a very, uh, a very blurred line for creatives because music can be such a hobby and a passion, but it can also be turned in something so business-wise, you know, like very strict, very rules and... It's it is a business. It's marketing. So, do you still make music after work, like uh, completely, uh. like not related to work? Do you still make just beats or play guitar or? Uh, sure, I play guitar, I play piano. Um, but uh, I have to confess that it's uh, when whenever I do pick up the instrument after work, it's always I always think about oh, what can I use this for something I'm working on at the moment. So it, in that sense, the work never really stops after after I go home. Um, uh, I do find myself not working on personal projects anymore, but I I think that also testifies of um, how much you know creative satisfaction I get out of the things that we're working on here. I feel like this is very much what uh, what, what you want what, to do. Yeah, what I want to do. Nice. Yeah. So it does feel like your personal projects. In a way, yeah, it does. Yeah, I feel very strong personal connection to the stuff that we're creating here. I think that's a very special thing. I, I haven't had that on uh, on, on uh, all other projects that I've worked on. You know, sometimes a project is just very dear to your heart. Uh, Deliver Us the Moon was, and, you know, the people we work with here, uh, I've, I've grown very, you know, uh, attached to them. Um, so, I, 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 you know, I, der I derive a lot of satisfaction out of the work I do here. So that kind of feels... Uh, good enough, you know, for me. It's nice. it's what's perfect, perfect uh, for me. It's oh, personal beautiful. perfection. That's yeah. beautiful. That's perfection. Yeah. As long as it's your perfection and you get the fulfillment and the happiness. I think long-term satisfaction is a very important thing of uh, maintaining a uh, you know a, a, a productive, creative, uh, especially in this relationship. Industry. 
Yeah. Yes. So when you uh, uh, kind of compare film music to game music, game music, uh, so film music is sync, so it's synchronized to it. You have like the one linear story and uh, the music is pretty synced to the image that you see and it will be the same. But with games, you have kind of the choice as a player. So how does that make a difference? Kind of, we call it adaptive music. How do you approach this? It's, uh, you know, it, it differs per, per scene. Uh, there are, um, in, in some cases, you can actually get away with a lot of linear music. Uh, whether or not you loop them uh, sometimes doesn't matter. Um, uh, we call it adaptive music a lot, but there is still so much linear music uh, going on. And sometimes it's just very cleverly implemented, so you don't, at first sight, think, oh, this is the linear music, even though it uh, secretly is. So uh, we still do that, but at other times it's very important for us to adapt the music to what's going on in the game, right? And to make sure that it um, responds to how well the player is performing or how far along in the level he is. And that's when, you know, a whole new layer of um, uh, tools come at our disposal. So we, we use... Uh, uh, we use Avmod as our like middleware. Uh, it's like a, a program that allows us to um, manipulate and control audio behavior um, in a manner that is very um, similar to what you are used to with the DAW. So for audio designers like myself, it it feels very familiar, but it gives me the tools to you know get stuff done that would otherwise require me to learn how to uh, code very well. Um, and that, for example, allows us to, uh, you know, to, to alter music based on how well the player is doing, how fast they are, or how slow they are. It doesn't matter. We always want to, uh, you know, make sure that players feel a particular emotion in a, in a given scene in the game. So, for example, in Deliver Us the Moon, there's this one point where you get, you know, tossed out of a space station and you need to find your way back. And some players are better at that particular uh, mechanic, that specific type of movement. Than others so they are faster than others but we always want to make sure that they feel the same kind of tension of we course. don't want you know the faster player to feel like oh it wasn't so tense and we don't want the slower slower player to think like um it it's, was too, it's tense. too much there's no <laughs> like tension curve going on here uh. um and that just you know, uh, you know it 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 requires you to write music in a slightly different manner which uh, which differs on a case by case basis and is really one of the most interesting interesting things of game audio I think. What it was very interesting about adaptive music to me is you're kind of as a player remixing the music because yeah. you can wait it in a certain time or for every time it's a little bit different like the, the the climax will hit in another point maybe it took a little bit more time for the other player sometimes it's a little bit more speed up. Yeah. So uh, interestingly enough, and even with linear music in games, uh, if you see YouTube, you can play this the Let's Plays and you can just stream the whole game without having trouble. You can't do this with movies. It's pretty strange to me. Uh, it is pretty strange, but really the, uh, the music uh, industry hasn't uh, you know, adapted <laughs> as fast as the gaming industry has. So there is like this weird gray area where... Uh, uh, we still need to catch up in terms of what is like what, what's morally right, what is um, um, what is what is practical to people, and what makes sure that as many people um, get the intended experience without sort of harming the original creators or something. But that's what 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 makes the entire internet era so 
exciting, I think. It's funny because you have the the, the cutscenes, for example, Deliver Us the Moon, they are as linear as a film. Yeah. It will always be the same and the music will be syncing up to that. Sure. Um, but then again, of course, then you need to make a difference between, okay, this is somebody who's playing and then this is a part where it's uh, the music is synchronized to footage. Um, but that can be very hard if you are going to try to control this in some sense. So the game industry, what you're saying, is a little bit more like also adaptive in that way, <laughs> saying, you know <laughs> what, like, let's <laughs> see more of an opportunity in this than yeah. kind of cut it down. Yeah. So um, how do you look, if you look at the game industry and how it's growing and maybe also take the film industry, do you think it will change? Uh, change in, in, in what... Sense. In, in the sense of, do you think maybe the film industry, which is older, is kind of uh, uh, taking stuff the game industry is doing? Or do you think the game industry will be more into the same structure as films are doing it now? I think there's no way back. I don't think uh, games are going to go the direction that films have gone in. Uh, films have just been around for way longer uh, and way before the internet was there, of course. So there was already a, uh, a very... Uh, uh, very fleshed out infrastructure uh, for the distribution and protection of movies and it wasn't quite there for video games especially when streaming services started to arrive on the scene but just as uh, you know streaming services have um, uh, made like seri series and films much more accessible at if, you know as part of a very different business model um, I think that is uh, more it, the film industry is, is probably going to have to, you know, go more into that direction um, to some degree. Sorry, I need to order my thoughts. You know, you know, I was thinking, are we really going to, you know, abandon cinemas completely? No, I don't think so. And then I thought, no, I no, because no. they're also like, uh, you know, I would almost call them like sacred spaces. They are very eventful spaces. It's like you, know, you, you go there on a date. Yeah, it's a nostalgic thing, also. Exactly. And it's you know it makes the movie just that much more special than just watching it at but home. You do have now these um, these Netflix like interactive series like Bandersnatch. Have you mm -hmm. played yeah. that? Can I s would you say play or watch that? Right. I, uh, I think it's a little bit of both. But then again, I still think watching Bandersnatch and making a few choices is passive active. But yeah. if you watch a movie, you can be quite passive. You don't have to do, be active about no. it. Yeah. With some games, let's say it takes two from uh, from Hazelight. Uh, yes, that can be quite stressful, uh, but it's also a very nice story to play. But it's it depends. So I think there will always be this like passive side of watching entertainment yeah. and kind of this active side and then the banner snatch is kind of a little bit of little bit pa passive active a little yeah. passive <laughs> yeah, active yeah, yeah. but i think that's kind of where things are heading with both ways if you would kind of combine i mean we're talking about the near future here who knows what we'll be doing because you have vr now so you're basically living a game like a movie but with these kind of interactive things i think they found a nice kind of angle for the the interactive part to be to be more part of the movie world i think it's uh you know it's 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 a cool first step bandersnatch was was really awesome um it was of course confined to you know the controls available through your you know your netflix environment and your remote <laughs> control so in that sense i did not feel a lot of uh, interactivity there I, at times i felt like sort of hindered 
by the the controls. Yes. Of the thing. Uh, but having said that, it was it was a uh, fantastic uh, you know piece Concept, of work. Yeah. I love it. It's very good. But on the other side, uh, when you look at uh, what games have tried to you know uh, incorporate more uh, cinematic elements, uh, when you look at Detroit Become Human, for example, that feels much more to me like I'm playing a movie. Uh, much more than Bandersnatch, uh, even though Detroit Become Human is a game. Because in Detroit Become Human, I feel like, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm the one who is in control of doing a particular action. I cannot do it. Uh, I can think about it. Uh, and I just get a host of different options to choose from. Sure, it's not, it doesn't give me the infinity of options available mm. in real life, but it's still a lot of alternative realities that I can explore through uh, the interactive environment um, uh, displayed in Detroit Become Human. And I think that's, uh, I like to think that that is more where movies and, uh, and games collide rather than in a Bandersnatch environment. To yes. me, Bandersnatch was still, still very much a, um, a movie only with some more controls. Some more options, yeah. yeah. Like a little bit of a lover of loser, a lover of loser book. You know that old oh, one. Oh yeah, like the uh, and like uh, where you can flip skip a, flip skip page. pages. Yeah, yeah. exactly Something like that. So so games they become more cinematic, or at least to me, it's also kind of our interest. Uh, what we are making here as well is cinematic games. Yes. So um, and you see also like all these actors, Hollywood actors, joining games now. Is is it kind of fusing together now? So what you're saying with Detroit Become Human, uh, this is also kind of a, a mix between. You could watch it. You can even do a kind of check a full playthrough on YouTube of it. And then it's kind of a movie. Absolutely. Like a 10 yeah, hour yeah. series movie. Yeah, which <laughs> is insane, by the way. <laughs> it's so long, but I love it. It's, um, but, um, you know, you, can, you could consider the trend. On the other side, there are also so many other games coming out there that aren't cinematic at all and don't have to be to, uh, you know, fulfill their, their own purpose. Um, but it's cool to see that there are, that you know the tools and the experience that you know this industry has amassed over the past few decades has now led to a gaming industry where we're telling increasingly relatable stories. I think I think that's what we're uh, trying to do. We not as in you know the, the three of us here, but you know what <laughs> developers in general try to do. I think we are at. Kaioken and Hunchback trying to do something like it. I mean, I love to see the the way that I think the movie and the game industry will always be well, not maybe always, but in the near future, will always have a difference. Have always have a different kind of audio and uh, audience and different kind of things you can do with it. But it's beautiful to see how this beautiful gray area just, you know. Yeah. started to be born started to exist with uh, the same way that all the like Mortal Kombat just released you know Mortal Kombat is a game everybody loved the game and now it's a full-blown movie um, I think it's really nice to see how that kind of is a gray area and how you know also with the what what game did you Detroit become human mm -hmm. I, I haven't played it I don't know you will love it <laughs> I probably great, yeah. will but funny enough, now you have the choice. So you can be actively playing Mortal Kombat yeah. or you can passively watch the story about exactly. Mortal Kombat. So yes, maybe it's just being in different mediums yeah. and yeah. that's fine. So uh, with all these games out there, it's kind of, it's popping out of nowhere and like movies as well. Um, what, what, what are kind of game soundtracks that you're really fond of? Do, do you get inspiration out of that or do you get inspiration out of completely something else? 
Oh, uh, now always, um, yeah, games will always be a huge source of in inspiration. Um, uh, my partner and I, Nola, uh, we've just picked up uh, It Takes Two by Hazelight, which you just mentioned also. And that soundtrack is just phenomenal. I don't know what I was expecting when I when I bought the game, but it was <laughs> not this. This is so incredible. I feel I feel touched every time. I, not in a bad way. Uh, whenever <laughs> I, I hear that, <laughs> it's probably Noah. <laughs> <laughs> whenever I hear that soundtrack, it's just so good. I I and you know in millennial speak, I can't. I can't even. It's I can't so even. Good. <laughs> Great. I <love> it. <laughs> Yeah. No, the instrumentation is fantastic. The composition is amazing, and there's just so much of it, and all of it is, it's it's good enough. It's yeah. great. <laughs> it's good enough. It's so good. It's so good. And you know, before that was uh, the Last of Us that came out last year. Amazing soundtrack. Also, what they did with it um, from a technical perspective. Uh, I I read a little about their music implementation the other day, and um, that system is much more sophisticated than I thought at first glance they have so many intelligent systems going on to make sure that the music isn't repetitive but it does give the right uh you know the right uh sensation the right feeling uh that uh, you know determined on what state you are in which sounds very basic but they did it in such a brilliant way and i think that's just a very beautiful thing there's so many great games out there i have the feeling that you know seeing you talk about this that this does inspire you Yes. This, this kind of like this is your your drive, you know, uh seeing other people work, other works, uh listening to other things. That's kind of where you tap out the inspiration. Yeah. Uh I mean I mean, yeah, but where does inspiration come from? It's it's so many different things. It's games, it's films, it's 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 just nature, it's dreams, it's it's uh it's just, you know, re retreating into the inner sanctum of your mind. Mm. Uh I which like is, that. Which is very Nobody nice. Nobody says that, by the way. <laughs> no, I like it. <laughs> yes, everybody should say that. Yeah. It is. But maybe also a funny thing, you, because you were talking about Nola, so your girlfriend, and uh, the, the soundtrack for the Drift was Smooth is completely instrumental. But then there was this moment in time where there was this ID that kind of popped up. Yes, yes. And uh, this is an ID to make a vocal track. Like the, the, the soundtrack is, uh, what is it, like 17 tra 70 tracks? Or something, and, and the full soundtrack is around 60, I guess. Yeah. And um, you decided together with Nola to say, you know what? Let's write a song with a vocal on it. Let's sing a little. Yeah, it was like our... How did uh, that originate? It was a little after credits uh, uh, surprise there to players. And it, it's really fun to see how people respond to that. Like on streams or in comments, people are like, we, whoa, we, we did not expect this but it's so good uh people just fall silent during streams like because they you know they just listen to hours of instrumental music and hear suddenly this gorgeous voice nola is an amazing singer um uh, suddenly coming out there out of the blue and it works I, I think it works so well there in that moment that is one particular moment where um uh i, I felt like no hesitation like this this will work sometimes things just fall into place there so where did it come from it feels like it was so this is the kind of thing that is so love. natural that it's uh, it 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 never felt like it wasn't there. I'm not sure when it started. Maybe good to mention. So she's also playing Sarah, so doing the voice yes. acting for Sarah in the game. No way. Um, yes. So of course, like there already, she was already very much integrated in the game. Yeah. And uh, because we are playing with music, and we think the the visual and the and, and the sound needs to be very good. I think it's very. Um, 
natural, very organic how this grew into, hey, let's do this encore in the end yeah. where she opens up the voice. I think at some point somebody plays the guitar in uh, Sarah's room in Deliver Us the Moon. And honestly, I'm not sure if this was before the credit song or after, but I like to think that this was before the idea of the credit song. So, <laughs> uh, so for some reason, we always considered the guitar to be a part of who Sarah was, you know. Yeah. So we thought it was fun to uh, uh, to to write a guitar song for Sarah to play during the credits because there there wasn't really a place for it elsewhere. Um, and then we thought, why not let her sing something as well? Something that's appropriate to her character, of course, and it tells a bit about her story. And um, oh, I think, it, yeah, it, it just worked. Yeah, so, so we just sat, to, we sat down together for a couple of, I don't know, days or hours and just uh, let the music flow. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It all came from a place of love. That's it really did. good. Yeah. That's great. I, th I think it turned out really well, and uh, and especially to have that encore in the end instead of like having with Marvel movies have that little extra. We kind of do have that as well, yeah. but uh, <laughs> kind of to double down on that, yeah. to also yeah, yeah. put it into music, a little encore there. Absolutely, yeah. Turned out beautiful. Like it really fitted the game. Thank you very much. Yeah. So um, maybe also a little bit about this pandemic, you know, uh, composers in general are kind of like this vampire stuck We're in their yes. stuck, stuck in the room, yes. not doing anything. <laughs> yes, it's no daylight for us. So, us out of it. Yeah, it, of course, like, uh, is this kind of normal? Like, did anything change for, for, for you as a composer or uh, with the pandemic? Uh, how do you kind of search for other people? Is it very supportive? Do you see other composers or talk to other composers as well? Yeah, there is this very, um, um, I mean, there are so many communities out there that especially in this uh, digital time, you can uh, very easily become a part of. But one that I've become very fond of is uh, a Slack channel, actually, which is <laughs> very basically called the Game Audio Slack. It's also our <laughs> own Slack. I love our Slack. But the Game Audio Slack channel is like, I think it's five or 600 people by now. Wow. And... Uh, there are composers, there are sound designers, there are technical, uh, you know, audio uh, implementation experts. And uh, they all just share their experience, uh, fragments of their lives. Uh, they share advice, they share stories. And it's such a great place to, um, to be and feel like uh, a part of a, a bigger whole. It feels feels like you know like a third home if if my actual physical home is my home and then the, what we have here is another home and then, <laughs> and then that that's there, the third the there's a third, channel home. Is the third yes. home i have many so homes nice. to come home to it's it's great and is this uh i'm curious is this um normal for the composer industry because i'm kind of new to the sound design composing world because i always knew that you know uh movies didn't just play a song in the background and it recorded that no um but is this community is it very nice and loving outside of that beautiful slack challenge uh, oh yeah channel, for sure or? yeah um you know whether it's in person or digital all these people are just so so amazing so friendly so kind and uh it extends um to much uh, much more than just you know uh, uh superficial pleasantries people are actually helping each other out there and because it's also uh you know, it centers around a craft that we all love. I don't think anyone gets into this into industry unless they're passionate about it. Um, you know, when people ask for advice, it's not like, uh, uh, it's more like, <laughs> oh, this is that. an interesting puzzle. Uh, yeah. Let's, how can I, how can I solve this? Nice. That's very good to hear. 
So um, maybe like new composers, kind of they 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 started to be very interested in this industry, game industry, film industry. Is there is there a certain kind of uh, a tip that you can give them? Is there advice that you have for how do you achieve those goals? How can you make it uh, your day to day business? Um, so. Uh, I think the most practical, but also the most useless piece of advice I can give <laughs> is to just do the work. Uh, yeah, even when you think you're not good enough or you're not worth it or you don't know the right people or your music is not cool, uh, just keep doing it. Keep hammering, keep reaching out to other people. It's always a people's industry. If you start to seclude yourself as composers are uh, want to do, uh, then you um, you're isolating yourself and your work as well. So if if you want to get into games, you need to reach out to people that make the games. Uh, so either make them yourself, but that gets very lonely, or uh, you know get to know the people that are actually uh, making them and see how you can fit into that picture. So get to know as many people as you can. Um, I mean, the pandemic is actually an opportunity in this sense. I mean, you can't go to physical events because they're not there. But there are so many digital alternatives and it's so much easier to get in touch with someone now. Yeah. Uh, now that it's all digital and everybody's kind of expected uh, or expecting to uh, get in touch with others digitally. So now more than ever is a great time to get in touch with people. But the, I, I mean, the most important thing is, I guess, next to getting to know the right people is to just do the work, get up, uh, don't get distracted, focus on your goals. Don't be too hard on yourself. Stay healthy, <laughs> but most of all, do the work. Drink Keep enough water. It. Stay hydrated. Drink a lot of water. <laughs> no, but I agree. It's uh, it's mostly all about execution. Yep. Uh, I think there was this one artist. He was uh, a painter, and he was trying to search for this moment in where creativity comes from. And uh, and I think his conclusion was when the pen hits the paper. Right. Yeah. It's not until you actually start doing it that things start to happen. I love yeah. how this is kind of a general theme of this podcast that you need to. Just do it. You better work. Yeah. Can we get a sponsorship of Nike? Nike. Is, uh, Nike, <laughs> is that a is that a thing? Like, but no. They've been saying it all the, the whole time. We <laughs> have been saying it a lot of time. Like, we do believe uh, in working together, networking. Just get yourself yeah. out there and just experiment. Do it. Do it. Just yeah. do it. And I also like that you're saying is don't be afraid to ask people stuff. And a lot of yeah. people they want to be this independent and they they don't want to be bothering people. Uh, and then they neglect themselves from opportunity. Absolutely, yeah. And it's you know it's a very uh, common and natural feeling to feel, especially if you're raised in uh, I don't know a very polite manner or something. Uh, you can very easily feel like you're too much or unwanted or whatnot. Uh, and that feeling gets, I guess, amplified by the the, the seclusion and isolation uh, caused by this pandemic. But um, you just got to try to step over that feeling and actually reach out to people. True. People are more into that than uh, you sometimes think. Exactly. Funny enough, you always have the feeling, let's say you are at a network party or you are trying to contact somebody digitally, that you uh, are really too much and that nobody's waiting for you yeah. and that you are being very rude by asking questions. Mm -hmm. So, And this is that little voice in your head. I'm saying like everybody feels it. Even the ones that you think the, these are the confident ones, they don't feel it everybody's feeling it. Right. The only one is like, that's not listening too much to the little voice is doing it. Exactly. And I do love that about the pandemic. I mean, not that I love the pandemic, but... Uh, but I about mean, the pandemic. But about the pandemic is that um, 
you see a lot of people just really getting together and you know in a sense of desperation which is not nice but in in a desperate way they need to get the contact you know they need to uh, get themselves out there because we have a different standard now so i really like how um for instance when you were in a network uh at a network event you see all these people and it can get very intimidating and you're not sure if you're getting into the conversation at the right moment with the right people or you know you might just be standing there all night uh eating you know those nuts and drinking some wine and then felt like okay i did this and now can i come home please I showed my face exactly sure. but when you're in an actual zoom meeting there's no way that you can go there's no way that you can miss that certain person because you're basically face to face with him over a screen uh so when you like turn away or w you know go away um they will get they will notice it so i think that it's it's very nice how it kind of shifted through through to the the way that we now socialize and we now network and it's quite easy to you know be like hey uh zoom call because it's the only thing we can <laughs> might do as well. <laughs> yeah. might as well <laughs> no fair true yeah and uh, if anything this pandemic has I, i guess exposed our need for community for getting together with people even if it's uh even if it's just just digitally yeah and uh, yeah Maybe uh, uh, one last question for you, Sander. Is um, is there such a thing as good or bad music? Mm. Mm. I used to think there was. Then actually, I did my my bachelor's thesis about this. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, this question was made for you. <laughs> much to my teacher's uh, uh, malcontent. But um, uh, okay, so my preliminary conclusion there was, and I still kind of hang on to that to this day, is that every Um, every like every every genre, every division of music has like an unwritten set of rules that sort of define the genre. So it's it's not so much a rule set that says, oh, this is bad or this is good, but it's more what allows you to recognize specific music. So when I, I listen to progressive metal, I know, oh, this is progressive metal and it's not it's country. not uh it's not country. <laughs> Although then again, progressive metal is all about weird shit, so there might be some country, country in progressive in metal music. But nice. then that is of course recognized as part of that genre. Um, but is there good and bad music? No, it, as long as I, it it just needs to reach people. I think it's a, it's a spectrum, and I don't think any piece of music falls on the 100% bad part of the spectrum. There are there are songs that I find ridiculously good. Uh, you know the the composers at Riot Games, the ones responsible for uh, for KDA, the like fictional uh, K-pop group. Mm -hmm. These guys are insane. So I uh, internally I I kind of rank them at oh my gosh, these guys are like approaching 100% on the, on the you know good, good side of the spectrum. <laughs> But then for most pieces of music, it's more like what does it um, do in relationship to what it's made for. So uh, is a piece of music from, let's say, The Pathless, an indie game, better than uh, a piece of music from The Last of Us? You could argue for, for one or the other, but at the end of the day, I don't think one is better than the other. It's just they, they form a unity, they form a whole in the game that they make, and that makes them good, not mm. the musical content itself, but how well they work in conjunction with the game that they're made for. And of course, the musical quality is a part of that, but that one is 
much harder to measure. I mean, you, it's, it's more about what, what fits here and is it executed properly? It's more about execution, I think, than in there is some sort of metaphysical musical standard that we need to yeah. attain. Nice. It's, it's more of a matter of what criteria you judge it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Is it the same way with uh, with with like sound design? So we're talking about um, music here, which to me are complete like tracks from end to beginning. They give a sense of story. They uh, you know they, they are a journey, like a small small journey of two minutes. But uh, is it the same way with like sounds? Is there is it is there a good and right way to do sound design? Well, uh, uh, well, well. Uh, uh, First of all, let me backtrack for a bit. There is a very interesting like gray area between the two. Uh, Martin Stig Anderson, who did the work on uh, Inside, for example, Phenomenal Game, uh, he very much advocates the position that music and sound design are sort of, uh, they're, they're different, but they're also sort of same. the same. Yes. Same, but different. Of course. Um, but still same. And, uh, <laughs> and he, he blends that together very well. So sometimes you're not sure, uh, you know, if you, if you make a very... Uh, clear distinction in your head between what's you know what's sound design and what's music he tends to blur the distinction in there and i think that's a very interesting thing that he does um um now i was going to go on to the next thing that you said but i i forgot i lost my train of thought here that's right? okay that's okay no <laughs> so, you're, so you're saying that it's um i asked you about is there a good or right way to do sound design yes so for instance you have a i move this and this sound no, it needs to be composed. It needs to be created. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, um, uh, yes, I think more than music, you can say there is good sound design going on here, because there is. Uh, it is easier, I think, to screw it up, uh, which is to say there are a lot of technical aspects. How do I put this? Uh, music implementation has its own, uh, you know, a set of technical challenges. Uh, that you need to overcome, but for sound design, it be, it, it it often becomes much more apparent mm -hmm. uh, because the manner in which it is implemented also plays a crucial role in the thing that you actually hear. And sound is a very responsive thing; it's a temporal thing. It is it it only exists in the time, moment, actually. Yeah. So if if I you know implement a sound for uh, putting down the glass and it isn't triggered until two seconds later, then that is that That's is right. bad. That's stuff. That sound design, okay. <laughs> um, but of course, that's just, you know, uh, for games, the technical side. Creatively, um, any, I, I think anything goes. You just need to see what works for your project. So there are, I, I would argue that there are projects in which it makes sense to, when I put the glass down, you hear an explosion, and that would be fine. That would be perfect. Oh, I wish I heard an explosion every time yeah? I put a glass down. Okay, <laughs> well, so there you have it. <laughs> <laughs> you you can do it. Uh, you can, yeah, of course. I, I did think, it. Actually. I think we uh, we actually should do a, a full uh, full podcast on uh, specifically sound design as well. Yes. Yes. Uh, so this is there is like a part two on this. Nice. I think. We're so gonna have to a talk part about two. Yeah. Are you ready for that? I feel like I'm a bad boy here. I should have been asking <laughs> you guys a lot of questions. Sure. No, I think we uh, we got uh, a little bit more wise on what's happening in the head of Sander, and yeah. uh, I I really like that, and I hope that the people that were watching. Uh, also got a little bit of uh, answers to uh, to questions that popped in their brain. I hope um, so. Hope so too. Yeah. But Sander, I uh, I really want to thank you. Thank you for uh, for kind of giving us a little bit more insights in how you do things in your perspective, with as well, like yeah. as always. 
uh i think it's it's fun like i this is something we can just continue talking about life and music (laughs) and entertainment and creativity Uh, and i really like that this was good thanks for having me i uh I, I, I missed these conversations. You know, we used to have dinner so often uh, yeah. a few years ago, but, you know, pandemic. No no restaurant is no. open anymore. <laughs> you know what? We we'll just that. like, to, we'll just sit down this table more often. We don't even need to record. We'll just have conversations. We should. Yeah. That's nice. We should. For now, I think I want to thank you and thank everybody that's watching. Uh, uh, wishing you a beautiful night. Thank, thank you. you very much. Have a good night. Hey, thanks for listening to Hunchback Talks. If you like this podcast, make sure to follow it and share it with your friends. If you want to find out more about Hunchback Music, what we do as a company, and our composers, make sure to check out the links in the description of this podcast to our website and our socials. We hope you enjoyed this episode and stay tuned for more episodes in the future.